Hey guys, I want to do a quick trigger warning before this episode. I know we've done a lot of these for the past couple shows. It's just because I want everyone to feel really good when they're listening to Under the Influence. Today we're going to talk about infertility and we'll be mentioning miscarriages. We'll be mentioning IVF that works and IVF that doesn't work. And so if you're in a place where this is difficult for you to hear, then take care of yourself. Maybe skip ahead. Listen to the next episode. Listen to past episodes or, you know, listen to something that's not me. You deserve the best day possible. It was like I was carrying a live grenade with me everywhere I went. I had made a concerted effort to not go to Instagram looking for fertility content. And there was one particular night where a promoted post popped up in my feed that was like seven foods to eat when you're going through infertility. And I fell for that clickbait hard. And I clicked on it and I ended up on this page. And the tagline for the page was, no IVF, no IUI. Don't let the fertility industrial complex tell your body what to do. And I spiraled. Abra Belki, who you just heard, is a longtime lifestyle and fashion blogger. A few years ago, she started trying to get pregnant with her first child and pretty quickly realized that she was going to have to go through fertility treatments. Suddenly, she started getting served all these posts and videos on social media all about fertility and pregnancy. So yesterday didn't go as planned. And I would have really, really loved to show you all the whole journey. I'm so heartbroken. I would never get to meet my first baby. We got to see the heartbeat last week. Everybody keeps saying I'm young and I could have more kids, but they do not understand. Yesterday's scan showed that the heart had stopped beating. I figured out very quickly that there were these fertility influencers and there's this secret hieroglyphic language that they use to describe their IVF journey in their Instagram bios. Miscarriages or baby angels or broken hearts. Failed transfers are these big red X's. And they're talking about doing five or six or seven cycles. And here I am in the middle of my first cycle. I had never let myself think about all the many, many ways in which this could not work. And my husband was out of the house. And in eight years, I have never asked him to come home. And I called him and I said, you have to come home because I am in a terrible emotional place. And the first thing he did was walk in the house and say to me, did you go on Instagram? And it was just like, yeah, yeah, I did. And I was showing him the content and he was like, you cannot seek this out. We have to stop this. But here's the thing. She wasn't seeking it out. Abra was actually constantly trying to protect herself from this kind of content. But Instagram, that tricky motherfucker, immediately knew from Abra's search history and whatever other technology it uses to track us, that not only was Abra trying to get pregnant, but that she was also working with her doctors on her fertility issues. The algorithm continues to learn about you as you go through all of this. Um, There was a fascinating article a few weeks ago about how apps that are designed for new mothers and pregnant women are really just serving them misinformation and advertisements. And 
The hardest part for me was there's this 10-day period where you don't know if you're pregnant or not, where you've done a transfer and you're waiting to see if it works. There'll be moments where you are certain you are pregnant. And there will be moments where you are in utter despair, completely convinced that you're not. And that goes on for 10 days. And in that 10 days, I could not go to social media to do anything other than my job. I would go, I would post my content, and I would leave. Because if I hung around long enough to exhaust the content produced by the people I was following, the promoted posts were going to be women who had had failed transfers or women who were you know, going through a miscarriage. And I was just like, I can't be here. This isn't a safe place for me. Not a safe place for a woman trying to have a baby. How is this possible? Like with mental health, fertility Instagram is a fucking minefield. It can be a place where women can find their village, their tribe, the information that they need, that they crave, that they want. It could be a place where they can share stories and find camaraderie during what can be a very dark and difficult time. But it can also be a place that serves up misery and makes a difficult period of their lives even harder. Influencers and social media have completely changed the landscape of fertility for millions and millions of women. You know, we talk about as a society how much work needs to be done on destigmatizing infertility and pregnancy loss. How are we going to do that if we can't share that to social media, which is where we all sort of live now, in a way that doesn't harm others? I'm Joe Piazza, and you're Under the Influence. Episode 6, Do No Harm. If you are a woman who goes on the internet, you've probably been served some form of motherhood content at some point in your digital lifetime. You can only get pregnant six to seven days per month. Sometimes I think that Instagram can just smell our ovaries. And if you're a person who's even thinking about getting pregnant or touching a child, then you've also probably seen some kind of fertility content at some point. All right, for those of you going through IVF or who've been through it, I'm going to go over the four things that happen after treatment once you are pregnant. One, probably the most, most of the apps that track things like periods and ovulation, they also end up serving your data to places that want you to see content about reproducing humans. You may be served ads for pregnancy tests, diapers, cribs. The algorithm may also give you videos of pregnant women, of women giving birth, of women trying to get pregnant, of women taking pregnancy tests. Like Abra said, if you're someone actively trying to get pregnant, this can be a really triggering and completely shitty thing. Fertility influencers have become a real corner of the socials, and people who've never tried to have a child might think that this is niche, but it's not. And it's in your face even before most women think about having a baby. Which is why I do see value in fertility influencers talking about this. Even if they're adding to the noise, 
even if there are some people that are just batshit insane and giving you crazy information, it's still helpful that it exists. In the past few years, more and more women have been telling their own infertility stories publicly. One of those women is my friend, Dori Shafrir. Dori's a writer. She and I grew up in newspapers together in New York City. And she is the host of the podcast Forever 35, which I know a lot of you listen to. She also has an incredible new newsletter called Now We're Talking. Dory's been really open about her struggles with fertility, and she actually turned a lot of those conversations into a podcast with her husband called Excellent Adventure. That's egg, like egg, E-G-G, adventure. Excellent Adventure, like Bill and Ted. Matt and Dory's show and the community they built around it is proof that people need a place to talk about fertility struggles openly and honestly. It really is one of those things that I... I do think unless you have been through it, it is really hard to conceive, no pun intended, of how isolating IVF can be. That story. If you are a person of childbearing age, let's say kind of roughly, you almost definitely have a lot of friends who are getting pregnant very easily and sharing it on social media. And and it is very easy to feel like you are the only one who is struggling. Um, and I know a lot of people feel that way. And IVF can also be so isolating because for a lot of people, you know, who have been healthy their whole lives, it's their first real, and this was true for me, it's their first real encounter with like, the medical establishment in a way and like feeling like you have no control over what happens. And obviously people who suffer from chronic illness or who, you know, have a disease or whatever, like they encounter this all the time. But I think for people who have not to to be confronted with this and go go into it thinking, well, it's IVF, it's science. Yes, it's expensive, but I'll pay a bunch of money And then I'll have a kid and it's like, well, it's not that easy. And that is like very isolating and very frustrating, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I first, I had two miscarriages before I had Charlie. And I just remember feeling like my body had done something wrong. And I I unfollowed, I unfollowed all of my friends, and this is so dumb, but I unfollowed all of my friends who had babies or who were pregnant because I couldn't look at it. I just couldn't look at it. And all I wanted to look at at that point was, I wanted to look at old pictures of Diane Mm -hmm, Keaton. mm -hmm. Understandable, yep. And I wanted to hear stories from people who did not have babies or who were trying to have babies, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you wanted to find your people. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that was one of the reasons why I started the podcast. Like, I wanted to know who else was out there. And I wanted people to commiserate with. And that is the reason that so many women turn to the internet when they're struggling with fertility. Someone to commiserate with. Someone to share information. Someone to just see you or to see them and to know that you're not fucking alone. It's a different kind of village. Dory didn't follow a lot of fertility influencers during the two years that she was doing IVF before she got pregnant with her son, Henry. 
But that was also about five years ago. And the fertility influencing world was much smaller then. But Dory recently checked in to see what the landscape looked like. Um, And it is really fascinating to see the sort of the turn that that has taken. I mean, we're talking like letter boards with egg retrieval results and, you know, just like all the sort of tropes of influencing are now (laughs) happening in the infertility world. And it it's like fascinating to see. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I personally find jarring is infertility spawn con. Spawn con means sponsored content. And yes, for fertility influencers, that can mean advertising specific procedures or clinics or giving away free rounds of IVF. There's one influencer couple who actually gave away sperm, donor sperm, in a cup for someone. And yeah, SpawnCon, as it's called, does add a whole new layer of complication to this kind of content. This is a little bit of a hot button topic because like, on the one hand, like, sure, get that money. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, we run ads on Excellent Adventure. It's not like that is a, you know, nonprofit enterprise. Um, but like, there, to me, there is something just... And maybe I just haven't gotten used to it, but I was looking at um, an account of two dads who had a baby via surrogate, and they were doing SpawnCon for a fertility company that, like, helps women know, like, like, helps women get pregnant. And they were basically, like, obviously, like, we didn't use this, but they were, like, doing the spawn for it. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, that's weird. I do think to your point, it does speak to the overall sort of commodification of this space and seeing fertility as just another space to be commodified is like, I think a little bit, or infertility is another space to be commodified, I think is a little bit jarring for people. Um, So yeah, that's been an interesting kind of evolution for sure. I I have a friend who is a an IVF specialist. She's real good at her job, especially at, at getting getting the olds like me pregnant. And she had an influencer, a reality television show star, approach her and ask for completely free IVF if she would doc- oh, if wow. she would document her journey. And she didn't say no. I probably shouldn't yeah. talk talk that much more about it but she's like I think this is probably a good idea and it's that's one of the things that inspired me to do this podcast I didn't even remember that because it happened three years ago um until just now and we started talking about it but I think there's something there's something kind of icky about everything when money gets involved Mm -hmm. yeah for sure but at the same time IVF is so fucking expensive fertility Every every kind of fertility treatment yeah. is so fucking expensive that yeah. if you can get paid, then get paid, girl. I don't or guy right. or it, couple. But you know, I think I think it does like raise the question of objectivity. Like, you know, if if your friend was documenting their IVF journey with this doctor for free, like what happens when something goes wrong or like she doesn't get the results that she thought she was going to get? Like, does she document that as well? Or does she just sort of quietly stop? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there is an element of like where can you trust what these people are saying if it is 
um, sponsored. And when it's something as like sensitive as infertility, it's like, I do think it has a net positive effect. I think the more people who are talking about it, the better. Um, and I think the more places those conversations are happening, the better. So if they're happening on Instagram, maybe they're also happening in real life. And, you know, whatever it kind of takes to get people to lose the stigma and the shame of doing IVF, if it takes them seeing their favorite influencer going through IVF, then like, great, you know, that's awesome. One of the craziest things that I've learned while reporting is that now fertility doctors are following influencers to try to find out what their how their patients want to talk about things. Oh, that's and so what their interesting. Patients may already, yeah, right. And what they may already know coming into their offices, they're completely changing how they kind of their bedside manner in response to the fertility influencer industrial complex. That's really interesting. I mean, I know on Excellent Adventure, we've heard from nurses and doctors and med students who have said that our podcast did help them understand the patient's perspective better. Um, I, you know, I actually, I think that's a good, that's a really good thing if doctors are looking at these, um, at these accounts. Totally. Yeah. I feel like it's improving a medical experience that for a long time has been really difficult for the patient. If the, if the patient can become much more humanized because these doctors follow these influencer accounts and read all of the comments, that's pretty great. It's pretty great the doctors get to see their patients and understand their patients in a whole new way by following these fertility influencers seeing what they're saying, seeing how people are commenting on their posts, seeing how people are interacting. It's also shocking to me. And it makes me wonder what comes next. How influencing in social media could eventually be integrated into medical studies and even medical school. Seriously. But more on that after a quick break. Because fertility influencing has become so pervasive, OBGYN and fertility specialists now have no choice, no choice whatsoever, but to pay attention to this world. And sometimes it even alters how they do their own work. I'm Jennifer Blakemore. I am one of the uh, reproductive endocrinologists and infertility specialists at NYU Langone Health. Dr. Blakemore is the co-author of a study entitled Infertility Influencers, an Analysis of Information. It was published in 2020. We started thinking about this, I think, in early 2018, um, just as all the different platforms were kind of coming to fruition with, you know, Instagram, Twitter, all, you know, all the different platforms. And we thought, you know, social media is this really interesting forum where people can get like vast information that is potentially translated in a very easy and like understandable and potentially even more palatable way. Um, and then also lastly, that fertility and infertility in and of itself, I think are topics that can be pretty stigmatized or misunderstood. So we wanted to just give ourselves, um, what we wanted to understand, like further understand what information is out there, who's giving it, how do they give it? What did you first find when you went in, in 2018, which is still 2018 is like no time at all ago. 
And yet a thousand years ago in social media years, (laughs) what did you see was happening back, back in the way back years? The, The biggest takeaway that we found is that there are infertility influencers out there. And at the time, most of them were not physicians. And the large majority were actually patients sharing their own stories and sharing what was happening in their lives and kind of creating, just like you said, like a community. So since then, since you guys first started looking at it in 2018, the world has just blown up. It's expanded. All of social media and influencing has. Yep. How has the world of fertility and I don't, I'm not sure if I should call it fertility influencers or infertility influencers. Well, we, I mean, in my field, I like to think about it as as fertility, you know, like everyone has a different level of that aspect, but I think infertility in and of itself um, could potentially have a negative connotation, but both correct, I think. Both correct, right? So how, how has that world and the impact that it's having on patients affected what you guys do? There was one study done a couple of years ago that said almost 80% of patients who were surveyed in the fertility center or fertility clinic felt that social media benefited their patient experience to give them questions to ask, to give them opportunities for knowledge, even pre-discussion with their physician or their healthcare providers. And additionally, that 40% of Americans would actually further their conversation or ask more questions about their medical care professional opinions when it either conflicted or supported with their own findings on the web. And I think now that social media has continued to explode in a very positive way, I think it's teaching us all from the healthcare side that we can do probably way more than we expected to um, if it's harnessed the right way. So the flood of fertility content on Instagram makes complete sense. In fact, it's almost inevitable, given that good resources for the topic have for a long time been largely inaccessible to most human beings. But of course... In the unregulated landscape of social media, this can all go wrong very fast. Are there any dangers of women getting advice about something that is very impactful to their health from people who aren't necessarily licensed physicians? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's difficult and nuanced in a sense, but I think if the information they're giving is sound, is evidence-based and factual, then I, then I think it can only be helpful to, you know, to disseminate information and get people just to be knowledgeable or to be more comfortable to open doors with medical professionals. But hopefully they're partnering with medical professionals. Um, but I think, you know, all in all, social media isn't medicine, um, but that the information should always be partnered with the idea that each person is unique and, you know, following up with your physician on a private and more unique sense is obviously always important in the end. Fertility content is a lot like the mental health content that we talked about in our last episode. It does some good. Of course it does. And it could be a jumping off point for your own awareness of your health, both mental, physical. But once you get that information, it's probably time to turn to a real medical professional to make sure you're on the right track. You know, a lot of people, I think, whenever they get to me in the office are so scared. It took them how many months, how many days? to get here. They're worried about what information they might find out or what I'm going to ask or do. And I think even hearing someone else's story, even if it's scary or there's a happy ending or a not happy ending, opens the door to like empower people to seek care, then I think that's helpful. But it's not just patients looking to social media for help. As I was talking to Dr. Blakemore, it became very clear that physicians are starting to take some cues from the influencers as well. 
And so are you seeing more and more physicians embracing social media to try to get information to their patients? I think so. I don't have like a number to put on it for you, but I think both anecdotally and within my own, you know, circle of healthcare professionals and friends and other things, I think it's a really more and more popular way for people to disseminate information, both about themselves as providers, about their practices, about changes with technology, with COVID and all the other ways, and just help educate people about periods, about fertility, about, you know, getting pregnant and what all that takes. Right. For healthcare professionals, more so than anything else, is to think of the impact. You know, I meet with patients on a daily basis to try and help educate them and, you know, move forward with their journeys. But if I could do that on a mass scale and help people even before they get in the door, that um, it can help destigmatize, take away the fear, and help, you know, in- enable people with all the tools before they even get to a healthcare professional. Um, so I think that's the, the biggest takeaway for me. The, the one kind of funny anecdote I always like to throw in there is that. Um, I never thought I would say this out loud, but I think now physicians doing you know, like TikTok dances and the little like funny, you know, hand signals and other things people do are really catchy and are really helpful for people to remember things that are potentially helpful for them. Wait, I have not seen physicians doing fertility TikToks. Are those really a thing? They do exist. If you can find them, they absolutely exist. No. This is a challenge for all the fertility doctors and fertility providers out here on TikTok, I want you to look around your office. I PESA, or testicular no sperm extraction, is an excellent treatment for men with very low sperm that may not be coming out in the ejaculate, but it is... Both of these embryos form excellent quality blastocysts on day five. Although they're excellent, pre-implantation genetic testing showed that... There's times when social media seems like a terrible black hole that we should all just eliminate from our lives. But when I see real professionals making their expertise accessible online to people who could not otherwise afford them, it warms my cold, dark heart. It does. And it makes me believe that there is actually some good on here. And that that good is perpetuated mostly by women. Now, after the break, I want to talk to someone who truly felt seen during her own fertility struggles. And in fact, she completely credits her pregnancy to Instagram. As we've said, fertility can be a really touchy subject. It immediately brings up emotions for women who are or who have tried to become moms. And there are many women just like Abra who say they just have to stay away from social media, just get the hell off it to protect their mental health, to care for themselves. But for some women who are able to find their community online to get help, fertility content can do a lot of good. And I recently found a really amazing example of this. I don't think I would have gotten pregnant if it wasn't for Instagram. That's Anna Joy Gorman. Yes, Anna Joy is really her name. She sounds like an Anna Joy, too. She sounds very joyful. She is Irish, she lives in Dublin, and she is just simply lovely. I met Anna Joy because she sent me a DM to tell me that she is convinced she never would have been able to get pregnant without Instagram. She truly, truly believes that. I started trying to get pregnant when I was, I felt definitely young enough, like I was just 30. We're living in America. Anna Joy and her husband were in their early 30s. They were trying to get pregnant. And like a lot of people, they thought it would be a cinch. Like, 
snap. They thought they'd have a glass of wine, do the things, and bam, baby in the belly. I went to the doctor. She was like, no, you'll be pregnant within six months, which now I think is actually something you shouldn't say <laughs> to people. I so. know. Mine told me she was like, just drink a bottle of wine and like hop in the back yeah. of the car. And I'm like, is it 1950? <laughs> <laughs> that was the exact tone <laughs> that I got to. And I was so confident. So they started trying. It wasn't happening. Then they moved from New York back to Dublin. And we had been trying, but I guess not like very aggressive. You know, like we didn't really, I didn't use the ovulation sticks or whatever. We were so young, kept thinking it would happen. Then it was like 2017 and like I had never been pregnant. Actually, my dad took me out for dinner. <laughs> it was like, you should be pregnant. I'm going to make you go to a doctor. So I did. And we had all the usual fertility tests again. So we were still only 33 at this point. We were the youngest people in every waiting room. And I guess in a way, that's kind of like almost more of a reason that something was weirdly wrong because we weren't just old. (laughs) You guys weren't old at all. And we didn't have any health issues at all. So we did our first round of IVF, which was, uh, it's horrific. If anyone's gone through, it's just really upsetting. And Anna Joy didn't respond very well to the IVF drugs. They didn't get as many eggs as she would have liked. Then when they tried to fertilize those eggs. The next morning, they didn't phone me. And then like I went to yoga and I went to brunch and I was so like, it's fine. They're just busy. They're like, they're not busy. It's a Saturday. (laughs) There's a reason. (laughs) So they rang me late. The man was just, I never heard from him before. He was just so upset. He was like, there's only two eggs are fertilized. And he literally was just like, I've never seen this before. (laughs) So that's great. We had one blastocyst, but that's still shocking for like someone my age, my profile to have just one. They just were like, come on, we're just going to do it again. We're going to change the drugs. You're fine. Anyway, they did it at the exact same results again. I think it was like 10 eggs this time. Like that time, my like expensive doctor rang me from the car, not just the embryologist. And he was just like, I think it is here in his voice. He was like, I just don't want to say, I don't know if you should even do this again with us. I don't know which is really devastating to hear because you're just, I don't know, I didn't know enough about IVF, I guess, when I started this, but I don't think a lot of people do. I think there's an assumption in the way people discuss it as like, it's like your backup plan. It's going to work, especially if you're young. If you're not 40, there you go. There's your answer. But it didn't obviously work for me. Anna Joy told me she got sucked into fertility Instagram pretty early on in the process. Unlike Abra, she really loved it. She wasn't triggered by seeing IVF injections or live readings of pregnancy tests. She was psyched to find this community of women going through a similar experience as her. You do get so sucked down. And I think that like, you know, that's a really rare example of it functioning as I think all the women that are posting on want it to be. Like, there's such a a pattern to so many IVF Instagram accounts and like I got really good at like reading them because I got really addicted to them when I was trying to get pregnant so you'd hit on one and if they're public they usually have had a baby so I'd like go to the baby and I'd scroll all the way down all the way down find out uh, go back to their saddest point where they started the account and I would like read it like it was like a narrative to myself like and then they go there and it fails and this sad thing and thing and then the breakthrough and then the scan and the baby and the cry like it was just you get like hooked on it and it's like it creates a narrative a positive story in a place that 
in a like a situation where you have no control. Anna Joy had also been a lurker on Fertility Reddit, another thing. And one of those Reddit threads mentioned an Instagram account called IVF Explained. At that time, we're talking in 2017, it was completely anonymous. So it was just someone was uploading photos of embryos, of eggs being fertilized, of like kind of um, sort of watching how they grow videos it was just really kind of like hypnotic and when you're going through it you're just like oh just read this is good and so I dm'd that doctor I didn't know who who was I didn't know their gender or anything at the time I was like I just kind of ran down what had happened to me and I was like is there anything you could suggest like I don't know where to go and he wrote back the next morning I woke up and there was a dm from him that was really kind like really kind in his in their tone like it was just like I'm so sorry that is really unusual you know can you tell me a bit more so I explained to him like the exact drugs that I had been on and what had happened and like my AMH which is my egg count and all of this he was like it seems like if you get fertilization you have a high blastasis rate because of that first round you need something that's going to trigger the activation of the cells inside your egg. It's like so technical. Oh my God, it's so technical. Yeah. So this anonymous doctor or person that Anna Joy just assumed was a doctor was now DMing Anna Joy and asking her the most personal and technical questions about all of her lady parts and her fertility and her husband's man bits. And she was just answering them just blindly blindly telling this stranger things because she was so desperate for any kind of help. And then he was like, there's a substance called calcium monophore and there's a process called AOA, which is artificial oocyte activation. It's totally experimental. It's not legal, but it happens in kind of like research labs. So not in fertility clinics and where I live in Ireland anyway, we're like the only EU country that doesn't have um, government funded and run uh, IVF. So everything is like an unregulated, um, not unregulated, but like they're not, it's not run by the government. So like from our European perspective, we'd expect all of our medical treatment facilities to be like audited by the government, by our national health service. And because it's not, it's a little bit wild west-ish. Anna Joy was sent to find a doctor on a website called Fertility Friends. And she was also told to find someone who knew about a very specific procedure. This was not easy because this procedure is illegal in certain countries because it has not been properly tested for birth defects. But eventually, because the internet can do almost anything, Anna Joy found an embryologist in Belgium who was an expert on this particular thing. She took the chance and her journey began. So we flew there and saw them and it was like really experimental. They put on the treatment, they washed them in the solution, they injected them with the calcium at the same time they inject the sperms. And the next day we had like 50% fertilization. And then on the fifth day, we had like a perfect blastocyst and I got pregnant and I had my daughter. <laughs> 2019 in July. It never would have happened if you hadn't stumbled on this one anonymous Instagram account. Yeah, never. Now, since he's become unanonymous and he is a very expensive doctor in San Francisco, everything he gave me was so vital to having my daughter. It cost me nothing. 
I would have conversations with the doctor that I was paying here and just if they were on the phone I'd get a bill and it's just staggering to think that you could have access to that kind of help information and like goodwill for free through like a social network it's just bizarre I do think that creators on Instagram and I don't want to say that it's Instagram doing it because it's not them it's the creators but the creators are filling a gap we have a gap in information about all healthcare for women and especially fertility totally. information. And that and so much of it is really only available to really rich people. Yeah. And especially in America, but I can't even comprehend how few people get to avail of that. It's so deeply wrong. And that doesn't even take into account that you need on average three full rounds of IVF to have one live baby. It's so stunningly prohibitive that people have to turn to these this information source. After our mental health episodes, it's actually honestly very refreshing to hear a story about some good coming from Instagram. Some good coming from any of these damn apps. And frankly, it gives me hope. It gives me hope that there are good things on the internet and that if we could just make some changes to how it works and who is in charge, then it could be a really great place for women to get the things that society isn't giving them. When I caught Glynis up on all of this, we we just couldn't conceal our amazement at how this space can bring so many women so many different things. It can be a source of horror to some women like Abra, but it can also help people like Anna Joy take agency over their fertility journey. And if women need anything in this world, it is more agency over our own lives. Anna Joy, it literally, I like it's it, it is amazing. It's amazing that she was able to get pregnant because she connected with this doctor on Instagram. And also, I mean, again, two things are true, right? It's so it's so good that she was able to get the information and support that she needed. But then also, after talking to Abra, the fertility Instagram can be such a minefield and a terrible place for women going through this. You're both finding like slivers of hope, which we both know plenty of women who've struggled deeply with fertility. Um, and also just an endless array of ways to feel punished. And when I, when you talk about women going to Instagram for this or fertility influencers. I mean, my God, fertility influencers. It's just such a, a measure of like what we're not providing. One of the things that I was so shocked to discover when we were reporting this episode was the fertility influencers who are getting free IVF. What? Yeah. What? Yes. Um, Fertility clinics will give influencers a true, a real thing. I mean, I believe you in the terms of like that aligns with uh, how influencing works, but that is. Fertility clinics will give influencers free IVF in order to promote their clinic. It's a thing. I don't, I, that I think my brain just like exploded and melted at the same time, because on the one hand, not that every conversation about women and fertility should bring up the handmaid's tale, but it, it, there is a handmaid's tale aspect to that, that if you, you can only have access to fertility treatment, 
in an affordable manner if you sell yourself, essentially. I mean, that is really... And on the other hand, knowing so many women in my life who have struggled, you know, with fertility and don't have the financial resources, I, the appeal of that is understandable and so wrong. God. Well, there's also a lot of influencers, not a lot, but a handful, more than one, who have given away free IVF on their sites in order to gain more followers. God. Wow. And on the other hand, as as upsetting as that is, I also think like... Someone gets free IVF. (laughs) Yes, because the traditional healthcare industry does not support fertility treatments. Most insurance does not pay for it. And if influencers can give away IVF and someone gets free IVF that they couldn't afford, I guess I, I think we have to say yay. We also live in a world that prioritizes women getting pregnant as the ultimate uh, goal for women's lives. I think the real upside of fertility Instagram is the information that's out there because our society does not allow us to empower ourselves or have agency over our reproduction from an early age. It should be standard that when you go to your OBGYN, when you're in your 20s, that they say, do you want to have kids? What can I check for you to see what's working? I actually think this should be introduced into it as you might want to have kids. And in the same way, you might want to own a house or you might want to do this with your, you might want to invest. Start availing yourself of all the things you need to know at the age of 18 so that this is part of your thinking as you go forward. Because certainly I'm 47 now and the idea of freezing eggs or fertility was not part of a mainstream conversation until the end of my 30s. And when women thought of it, it was something you whispered to your friends as like a signal that you'd failed in some way. I think of it in the same way as I was taught to think about real estate as a woman growing up, which is the clearest memory of my, when my best friends in high school bought herself a condo when she was 22. This would have been in the mid 90s. And her mother said, don't do that. A man will never want to marry you now because you own your own apartment. And it's, and that is also in some sex in the city episodes, like this idea of taking control over your life is attached to shame and that you are not attractive. And therefore you have to do this on your own, as opposed to this should be part of every medical conversation from the time you, you get your period almost like it has to be detached from sexual education in some ways as just an idea of how you think about your own body and how you inform yourself about it and that it's your body. And if Instagram can give women of all ages information yeah. about their bodies and fertility, that's a good, that is a good thing. This overlaps with like our therapy conversation, which is, do you want to get your therapy from Instagram? No. Has the way that Instagram mainstreamed therapy is a part of our everyday conversation? Yes, that's a great thing. Like this vocabulary is now not connected to shame in a way that it it once was. So, and that is absolutely how it should be. Oh, wow. That's just like, I really do feel like my brain, like all these doors flew open for just potential terribleness of this. And also such empathy. You want to talk about some more terribleness? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because reading the news these days certainly isn't enough. Keep going. Next week, we're finally going to do our episode on nurse Instagram mm. that you and I 
started reporting in the hospital. Yeah. And as with everything, there is a good side. There are some great nurses, like the ones that we met, uh, who we talked to, who are trying to fix a lot of the problems with nursing on social media. And of course, there's the dark side of anti-vax nurse social media. Oh, jeez. I think there are a lot of nurses that do feel very strongly, you know, against it. And I think it's just more so the freedom aspect. And then I think a lot of the nurses feel betrayed in a way because they worked all throughout the pandemic. And now all of a sudden they're being told, you know, hey, like, if you don't get this, uh, your job's not going to be there. People were very like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're causing people to lose their livelihood. And I'm like, yeah, but they're causing people to lose their lives. I, I don't know which one is worse in your eyes, but in my eyes, it's death. That's just the tip of the iceberg of how healthcare professionals are broadcasting information on social media. There is a lot for us to talk about here. See you next week. Under the Influence is hosted and reported by me, Joe Piazza. Our senior producer is Emily Marinoff. Glynis McNichol is our editor. Abu Zafar is our producer. We got additional production help from Aaron Peterson, and our associate producer is Lauren Phillip. Sound design and mixing from Jackie Huntington. Our theme was composed by Jessica Kranchich. Additional music by Jessica Kranchich and Jackie Huntington. Anna Stumpf is our consulting producer, and we are executive produced by me, Joe and Nikki Tor. <laughs>